passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind at Dynamite. It's John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just all right. Okay. Six out of ten. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Above all right. Good. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, What'd you do today? I sat in front of my computer all day long. It was one of those days. There's a lot happening today. Sounded like a really, really big news day. I mean, they always typically are, but um, yeah, today no different. I mean, really, I guess we're here to talk about both today and yesterday. Yeah, we will, uh, we will cover a lot. And let's get into the verdict that everyone was at the edge of their seats for. Come Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Raw Underground. What was going to happen, Way? What was going to happen with Hour 3? Did you have a strong feeling, one way or the other, of what Monday's experiment would bear out in the numbers before you knew what the outcome was? I mean, just judging by, I think, the the amount of uh, buzz that existed online and, and the increased amount of feedback on our own message board, I, I imagine that there was going to be an uptick in curiosity. Now, that's curiosity. Um, so... That's what I it doesn't always translate. Yeah. Mm. Like certainly that was the big talking point coming out of Monday night. So when the numbers came in, it averaged 1,715,000 viewers. So it would be their highest uh, overall viewership since June. So that was a good sign. Uh, they started off with 1,710,000 in the first hour, which is not a gigantic first hour number given what they had been promoting throughout the day, but then it grew in the second hour to 1,824,000 and then dropped in the third hour, but there's a lot of context to go into that, down to 1,610,000 viewers. Now, by third hour standards, that certainly is ahead of the last three weeks where it had been hitting very low figures, culminating in last week's third hour. That was the lowest hour in Raw history. But once you start to look at the the breakdowns, the demo was also up this week. They did a a point five one, so that was their their best number since June twenty second in that category. So uh, some some positives that you can take from that. But then it is breaking down that number, and I think everyone has looked very deeply into this uh, third hour, and that's where uh, there there seemed way to be. Uh, 
a ton of interest in this third hour when it came to younger audiences. I looked at the third hour compared to last week, which was that that terrible number. And I mean, 18 to 49s increased 24 percent. Females 18 to 49 up 54 percent. Adults 18 to 34 up 82 percent. Females 12 to 34 in the third hour from last week up 237 and a half percent. The only demographic that was down week to week in that third hour, and there was a very notable drop off, was adults over 50. They were the same level for hour one and two and then fell over 15 percent in the third hour, and they were down from hour three last week. So, I mean, whether it was curiosity, whether it was a one week thing, whether there is some legs to this concept, it worked week one. They're, they wanted to drum up curiosity, and they got it. Um, they were coming off a historically low third hour last week, but, I mean, this would be a sign. That we knew it was going to continue next week because that show's taped, but I I see them going full on with this raw underground concept after week one's results. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess the question to ask is, were people tuning in to see – what this thing was going to look like, or do you think that they were tuning in um, because they enjoyed what they saw? Well, and this is something that we always, I think, have to preface when we put a lot of stock into the hour-to-hour comparisons, because like last week, that was a historically low third hour, and then we find out there was a, a big tune-out after the women's match. So what did the quarters look like in that third hour as well? That might give you like, what did that last segment look like? Were people through with this raw underground by the end of the show? I think to your question that there was a lot of, I think Shane McMahon gets some credit. The fact that he was back on television and he was the hook for that third hour, but also, yes, this is a visually, you just see the, the look of this thing. I think it's got people's, curiosity whether it was good or bad we'll find out in the weeks to come but i think that there was overall just a at least interest to see what the hell this is and whether people actually liked it or it was just so far out there that they were they were hooked to just watch this thing on a on a wrestling program well i guess we can say you know they were successful in creating curiosity um and that's how often is that something that they can rely on? Are we going to just see new crazy announcements every single week? Because that, you know, it's just hot shot. It's just a proven way for them to stop the bleeding in, in many cases, announce a wild new idea, whether it be the wild card or I don't know, uh, some sort of, uh, I don't know, some dude getting run over by a car or something like that. Um, can they do this every week and you keep it up? And I, I, I it's just, it, it, it seems exhausting, but, um, Will it last really is the bigger question. I think I think you have to guarantee like just off the fumes of this first week, I think you have to imagine this goes at least through the rest of the summer. Like we get a month out of this. And if there's a stark turnoff to this uh, third hour, which I imagine they'll keep this in the third hour, unless they get really crazy. Um, well, you know, it, like anything, it will wear out its welcome. Um, but again, we're we're just guessing at this point what is going to be the response to this if this is something that is different enough that it's interesting but a month from now we might have a very different look at this for sure yeah um 
you know, experimentation seems to be like a big theme of this company ever since the, these, you know, they've they've been having issues with ratings and uh, this just seems to be the next one of those. Um, ultimately, you know, we will see if it results in like actual good storytelling, because to me, that is more of a more of a, I don't know, important factor in, in creating lasting, uh, you know, audience. Now, another aspect to this is that when you look at the people that were watching the show on Monday night, not just looking at last week's third hour to this week's third hour, because there you see the increases are through the roof. Um, but when it comes to those that were watching in the second hour, stick sticking around for the third hour, um, the biggest audience, it was males 12 to 34, uh, were up eight per, uh, 18% from hour two to hour three. Females 12 to 34, which was that huge 200 plus percent increase from last week, uh, were up 12 and a half percent. And there were some tune outs in the 18 to 49 demo. They dropped 7% in the third hour. Females 18 to 49 fell nine. So it's not like hour two, hour two did go up. And it's not like everyone beyond the over 50 audience stuck around. There were some uh, tuning out as well. But the biggest tune out in the third hour was adults over 50. So that is unique because that has been a demo that has been propping up a lot of WWE's numbers. And this was a concept that appeared to hit week one. And with its most loyal fan base, it was the one that rejected it in the most numbers. Well, people don't give a shit about underground bare knuckle fighting. I guess not. No, they they maybe wanted to go watch some gardening on being the elite or whatever um, over 50 seconds was going to provide. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, it's fascinating trying to like study these uh, hours just and 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 you know quarter hours later on just to kind of see what patterns of behavior might exist between different groups of people. Um, but if their goal is to try to get some of that younger audience, at least they were able to pique that interest for this week. Well, everything is geared around television ratings. I know people sometimes don't like how much we put a focus on it, but it is the biggest factor at the moment for WWE. And we'll get into uh, today's news as well, which was a big part of that. But just sticking with the WWE uh, and their taping. So on Tuesday, they were supposed to do two episodes of SmackDown. They ended up only taping one episode of SmackDown, which will air this Friday. And uh, I had been told that the next, the SmackDown that they were supposed to tape on Tuesday will now be done a week from Friday and Dave Meltzer had gotten an updated schedule that it sounds like. So this Friday SmackDown is taped. Next Monday's raw is taped. And then the following Thursday, they'll tape the raw that's going to air the week leading into SummerSlam. And then they're going to tape a SmackDown and a raw. It sounds like on the Friday. So everything is just being thrown up uh, in the air. It seems like there is a lot of chaos going on in WWE. And probably a lot of it is just around an extra amount of pressure when it comes to uh, d different factors. But I'm sure that the, the last couple of weeks of numbers have not alleviated any of that stress. And we're going to see what we get as an end product on Friday's episode of SmackDown. But that was all that they taped on Tuesday. I guess it's one of the you know negative things about the fact that you don't have an audience and that you don't have to travel and you don't have to book these arenas in advance. Because a great point. you can change your, you know, booking and your um, travel on a whim and your taping schedules on a whim. And it just seems like it's an absolute nightmare for all the people that are 
working uh, at these shows between the crew, of course, and also the re- the, the performers and the wrestlers. Um, and, you know, if this was a non-pandemic period where you had to set these dates and make these towns on these specific days, they'd probably have to, well, they'd definitely have to stick to a more strict schedule. You know, if, if, in a company that does not exist with uh, the mentality of a Vince McMahon that will tear something up at a moment's notice, you could look at this period that you would think WWE would have their most long-term thought-out stories, given that they have to tape so much in advance that you'd have a clear picture of where things are going. But again, we always go back to the erratic nature that one person is going to snap their fingers and all that goes out the window and we get this where it just seems it's it's as much chaos as ever. It just seems really crazy to me because it's not like they haven't done TV this way before. I mean, Vince like built his business doing set tapings. NXT continues to do, you know, like regular sets of tapings just fine. How did something break down so much that like you've gotten to this point or even like with these two week breaks, you end up changing so much on the day of to the point where you're having to like cancel complete tapings. I think it's, I think it's pressure about just whether it's hot shotting or just how you're reacting and maybe overreacting to some of the numbers. We also have this period of time that they're doing all this testing. So we don't know of, you know, every single set of tapings comes with the risk that people you have written into the show might not be available. So that that is present every time they go to tape uh, uh, moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Certainly there are a lot of factors. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it makes for interesting news, at least. Well, sticking with WWE, this was a major news story. Uh, it was first reported by uh, John Orrand at uh, Sports Business Journal and WWE putting out a, re- a press release confirming that they have hired Nick Khan, uh, now formerly of CAA, where he was the co-head of television there, a power player within the industry when it comes to negotiating uh, television sports rights and representing a lot of big players in the sports broadcasting space. He's been hired by the company to serve as its new president and chief revenue officer. So the presidency titles, which were created for George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, uh, had not been fulfilled or filled since they left back in January. So Nick Khan will come in as its president. I think this is a huge get for the company. It also is a major statement to concerned shareholders, analysts about television numbers. And they are bringing in a guy who was part uh, and a big part of the team that negotiated these huge television renewals for WWE two years ago. He was there in the room because WWE had hired CAA to work with the negotiations team. So to me, what it says is that whatever your concerns are, we have, you know, this this huge um, power broker under our roof. And the bigger question that I don't know the answer to, but if this means WWE is going to go into these negotiations without having CAA with them, if they believe they can send Nick Khan out to negotiate these renewals, that's a huge savings for WWE because CAA is getting some cut of whatever deals are are made. And if you eliminate that, um, it's it's a huge savings that WWE takes in. I thought that was a really interesting point that you brought up in your uh, about that in your update today. Um, you know the the idea that I, I I mean it really to me like puts into perspective how big of a game changer it was 
for WWE in 2018 to get the deals that they ended up getting. Um, it changed the company completely, completely, and you know, still feeling those ramifications right now. And it seems like this signing is a direct, uh, you know, uh, fallout. I would say perhaps from from that event. Uh, it, it's also just incredibly interesting to me as somebody who, of course, you know, is more so a, a fan of the on screen product. That like this entire year, just even behind the scenes within the company structure, there's been this like so much happening. You know, like it's there. It, there's been its own. Um, storylines and you know a series of like yeah factions being ousted and then other people replacing them from the past like so much craziness that you know i only have a very kind of casual um knowledge of but uh this definitely seems like it's it's a big move and i imagine one that would probably make shareholders um quite happy and one that seems to set themselves up for the next cycle of uh renewals yeah, um, the stock was up 2% today. That I would say would be a direct response uh, from the investor, uh, the investing community to this hiring. And ultimately it will be, you know, I, I'm curious that, like where, like Nick Khan, you would think that given he's going to be in the presidency uh, role, that he will be on these future earnings calls and have a very, uh, be a very public face for the company along with uh Christina Salen, who's their new CFO that just started this week. I think that those two we're going to look at as a, Vince McMahon for years has kind of taken more of a uh, of a back end role, at least when it comes to being out in public. He'll be on these earnings calls, but that's about it. And I could see Nick Khan and Christina Salen now being in those positions where we see them out doing a lot of investor Q&As and representing the company, much like Barrios and Wilson did. And the, the ultimate value of a Nick Khan is going to be the next set of negotiations, which we're years away from. But And that question about does this mean WWE is not going to have to lean on CAA? Because if not, this signing is, uh, you know, it's just it's just an unbelievable amount that they could be holding on to. And, and that's a part with AEW was the fact that they didn't have to go out and get another outside agent, agency to negotiate their TNT deal. Tony Khan took that on by himself and that's that comes at a, at a great savings uh when you're not c- cutting another agency in for 10 or 15 percent yeah absolutely um now he's not gonna have to tackle that for the next couple of years um I, I i don't know how much you actually know about him but you know do you see any sort of major changes coming within the company that at least like a viewer may feel I don't know if he'll have any direct impact on the on-screen product, but I think behind the scenes, I think it's going to take six months to a year to see, because we saw this with Barrios and Wilson. Like we saw what they were um, kind of positioning the company to be moving forward. And a big part of that was uh, WWE Network 2.0 and, and other initiatives. I think in the next year, we're going to get a sense of, like I think Nick Khan is, is going to have like a big, big impact on this company. Like this is to me a, a massive hiring and a, and a year from now, we'll look at what those changes are. I, I don't know what areas he's going to be directly involved with, but I would think given his background that the, the, everything to do with television is going to circulate around him. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I'm just picturing in my head, like <laughs> he's going to be the GM of SmackDown. No, like just somehow, some way, like the cons are somehow related. And we get like some like evil sibling, like, you know, like a Kanan Undertaker scenario. 
but involving the cons. And it's got to be con. It's oh jeez, you've been holding on to that one, haven't you? No, not. Uh, so big, big story in WWE today. They were they were very busy over the last uh, little while. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the passing of Toronto wrestler Jaguar VJ Singh, who has not been a wrestler for a, a long time. Um, I wrote up a story about him today. Uh, Ron Hutchison, who was his trainer in professional wrestling, uh, alerted everyone that he had passed away on Friday. He was only 46 years of age. Uh, he left behind a wife and three children. And he was someone that I got to watch numerous times. Uh, he primarily wrestled for the Apocalypse Wrestling Federation, which was the company affiliated with Ron Hutchinson and Sully's gym. And he started wrestling in 1999 and was... He ended up winning their title four times and wrestled until 2003. And again, like he wrestled pretty much exclusively with the AWF. So when they uh, closed up in 2003, the, uh, he pretty much got out of wrestling and dropped it completely. And, you know, just in reading up on him today, got super into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, just as a hobby for him, he was he was an accountant by trade and even opened up his own business. But... Just completely, it just seemed dedicated himself to jiu-jitsu, where he rose up to become a brown belt over the last couple of years and did countless tournaments, uh, including going overseas. Like, he was, um, you know, heavily, heavily involved in in the grappling scene as well. But, you know, in his uh, professional wrestling days, he, he, again, he started in 1999 and was part of all of AWF's major shows, including when they would run these uh, summer events at the CNE where the AWF got a uh, got a deal where they were running multiple shows per day at the CNE and and Jaguar ended up being one of the guys that just wrestled like nonstop at these and it was like a throwback to almost like the territory days where someone at like a local level could get so many matches in on a daily basis and you know not knowing him or anything just to look at you know the 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 work that he put in becoming a pro wrestler and then in grappling like you could tell this guy had an enormous work ethic because you know independent pro wrestling and becoming a, a highly decorated grappler it's not a real financial incentive it's got to be you really love what you're doing and that was one thing that I took from this guy but um, again just you know as, uh, someone that if you were on the Toronto scene following pro wrestling in the early two thousands um, you would you would have heard of Jaguar VJ Singh. Sounded like, honestly, an incredibly accomplished guy um, who really followed his passions, you know, whether it be with pro wrestling or, or jiu-jitsu. Um, those are all things that require a great amount of dedication, and it's uh, very, very unfortunate. Um, he was very young. Yeah, again, 46 years old. It's uh, very, very sad news of his passing. Um, you can read that story on on the website. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi has been cleared by New Japan to work the uh, core Q and Hall shows beginning tomorrow on Thursday. He had been on a talk show over the weekend and an unnamed uh, person was on this talk show that had COVID-19, but he did not come into direct contact with this person. And he went through uh, several different tests that all came back negative. So he's been cleared for those events. And then we have oh, this just totally messed up story involving Marty Jannetty. Did you follow any of this today? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, it's um so he put up, well, at least on his Facebook account there was a posting 
uh, from Gennetti, pretty much outlining a story of when he was 13 years old and he was trying to buy marijuana off of uh, this guy at a bowling alley and the guy took him to the back and felt like he was going to like sexually assault him. So Marty said, that was the first time I made a man disappear. They never found him. They should look in the Chattahoochee River and then goes on to talk about this woman that he has had some recent relationship with and said that I promised myself way back then nobody would ever hurt me again. That includes you. And later followed up talking about the two of them having a falling out. Um, this was this circulated everywhere. It was just an, like Marty Jannetty has posted a lot of messed up stuff like there is. A lot of problems associated with this man. And if you are a police investigator, you have to take this seriously. And that is what's happening because in Columbus, Georgia, the police department was contacted and TMZ reported that they are going to be looking into this and checking back on records of anyone that went missing at the time period that this links up with. Uh, Gennetti is 60. So he outlined he was 13 years old when this happened. So um, it's something where the police are getting involved here. I mean, it's a, just a completely uh, bizarre story for someone to come out with, but Marty Jannetty, it like has significant problems. And this is not, uh, this story is not the first time he has come out with something that's uh, really disturbing. No, not at all. Um, and to me, it's like social media. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of us are having uh, an intervention with ourselves uh, with uh, about its value and, and really how damaging it is uh, to me. There's absolutely no question that like somebody like Marty Gennetti should not be. Uh, there's just, he needs help right now. And uh, no matter what these findings are, there's something that, that is really, really wrong uh, with this man. And um, I, 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 I hope the truth comes out. I mean, you know, no matter what it is, um, it's it's a really messed up story um, that, unfortunately, like is somehow attached to this sport that we all like. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, yeah, um, but was got a ton of traction because of just the uh, the level of it and the the fact that Marty Jannetty is still a a known name within the industry. Uh, the last story here is that uh, Disney had their earnings report uh, this week. And one of the bright spots on their report, because, you know, they've been ravaged by the pandemic and their theme parks that are closed and entertainment properties. But their streaming division uh, with the combination of Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus is now at over 101 million subscribers. And ESPN Plus has grown to eight and a half million subscribers. Um, and I think way given this time period, you have to put. Pretty much all of that you have to credit the UFC with because there haven't been any sports that have been running during this time, save for the UFC that had that massive card back in May with Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson and are coming off the 251 card last month that had the three title fights with uh, Usman and Jorge Masvidal. And like when you look at when the 251 number came out and they were pegging it at like 900,000 buys on ESPN+. Plus. That conversion rate, it's like that's 10.5% of the people with this service buying that pay-per-view. Uh, so given like the size of ESPN Plus and how many people are buying a $65 pay-per-view on top of their subscription, 
like UFC has been an enormous acquisition or, or at least a partnership that they have uh, signed with them uh, for this this distribution deal. You know, just as an outsider looking in at the time, if if you were to sell me as a potential consumer to pay a monthly fee for a thing just so I could pay another like one time fee at like 60 bucks or above for for a MMA fight, like I would have told you that was an absolute crazy risky proposition that I couldn't have seen many people attempting. But the fact that they managed to see the results that they had, I mean, really does tell you the power of combat sports and in particular the UFC uh, and in particular a certain number of fighters who are strong enough to be able to get people to like pay these crazy amounts of money, jumping through like all the technical hoops of trying to figure those things out in order to get to these things. So it, it, it obviously looks great for the UFC and I would say it looks great for other, uh, you know, traditional pay-per-view sports. And uh, I'm sure WWE is following these numbers also very closely. Yeah, I mean, like UFC has played a big part in building that ESPN Plus platform. They've been they've been invaluable. Um, and both sides have made out really great in this whole thing. And Hamilton and Beyonce. Let's credit both those two, too. Well, that's uh, Disney Plus, but... Um, well, for, the, but for the mouse, really. That's true. And that was also a factor, too, is when they introduced the bundle where you could get Disney Plus. Disney Plus is just unbelievable like it's in terms of a uh, million i think right now they, they're at over 50 million now oh. they have grown exponentially um dur during this this pandemic period so i mean the fact that you get a bundle package and espn is lumped into this phenomenon of disney plus um that that's a big factor in their growth as well do you have disney plus i do have it um we got it from max but he has not really been into it at all so we're we're actually considering dropping it. Interesting. Okay, but we do we do currently have it right now. Yeah. Is that um? You you still have it, right? I still have it. I mean, I got it for Hamilton. Uh, to be honest, I never really watched it beyond that. Uh, but I did watch uh the uh Black is King yesterday from Beyonce, and that's really all I've watched. Um, not very much a Disney household, but I'm I'm really just waiting for the Marvel shows to come out. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to see as well. And that's why I'm kind of holding on for it now. This quarter, Disney Plus added 24 million subscribers. Yeah, that's that's incredible to me. I, I'd be curious to know how many of those people already subscribed to Netflix. And, you know, is Disney Plus something that people are choosing to add on to Netflix? Or are they choosing to use it instead of a Netflix? Um, yeah, because I, 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 yeah, it, it's it, there's plenty of entertainment to go around right now. And at this point, it almost feels like I'm I'm subscribed to like I'm subscribed to a lot of these services, like as many as uh, I'm probably paying as much as I was for cable. I think that's that's where most people's uh, bills are going. Where it's your you might be getting rid of cable, but you're making up for it with uh, streaming services. And I think by and large, most of them have done very well. Like even the WWE Network, they did very well throughout throughout June. Not to the extent of these other ones, but. It seems that, you know, streaming services, that's something that was uh, a benefit during this pandemic. For sure. I mean, you're not going out to watch movies. You're not going to buy concert tickets. How else are you going to get your, you know, evenings entertainment? 
All right. All your news you can find up at postwrestling.com. And I do want to send people to check out Andrew Thompson's interview with Fred Yehi. That's gotten a lot of great response. Uh, nearly an hour discussion uh, between those two that you can check out on the main page as well. Uh, go to Andrew Thompson Interviews on YouTube. Subscribe to his channel and uh, check out all of his fine work. But wait, what do we have? Actually, uh, I will say what we already have up is our Capital Carnage review from Tuesday night on the Post Wrestling Cafe. What a what a show this has been and what a uh, reaction we've gotten to this event that some people were discovering for the first time and others were reliving. Many of our listeners in the UK, you know, talk, bringing up their experiences of, of um, catching this UK only pay-per-view in 1998. Not, not, nothing beats Stephanie Chase's comment about yeah. when she was younger, <laughs> racing home from church <laughs> to watch this show. This very kid-friendly show uh, that featured one of the most batshit crazy xenophobic Vince McMahon promos I've ever heard uh, in front of an audience. And of course, a very infamous scene involving Jacqueline um, exposed in front of a live audience. That is up on the Post Wrestling Cafe, a whole, not just a show, we really go into everything WWF related in December of 1998, how they're doing business-wise, and a lot of uh, circumstances surrounding this show, um, in particular relating to Jim Ross and the circumstances of which he had to continue and call this event. So it's a two-hour look at Capital Carnage 1998. We have also put up a poll at forum.postwrestling.com for you to choose one of four Royal Rumble events that we are going to be chatting about on our next Rewind Away, and that's open until next week. Next Tuesday, yeah, we'll announce Next it. Tuesday. Yeah, initially I had opened up the poll um, for patrons, but I guess, I'll, I mean, I'll open it up for everybody, so you can at least have your say. And coming up on Thursday, uh, Martin Bushby is going to be handling things on the British wrestling experience and he's be and he's going to be joined by several guests to review the WWF Rebellion 19, uh, 2001 event so uh going s- several years in the future after Capital Carnage all right i love it i i hope we didn't steal their thunder reviewing this Capital Carnage show i'd love to i think we thoughts. we served as a great lead in uh go look at 98 and then compare it to 2001 a very very different time period for the world wrestling federation on Friday, we're going to have our post-profile look back at Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen on the 10th anniversary of their fight at UFC 117, the first fight between the two. One of the most dramatic finishes in UFC history, maybe in MMA history, I will say. Uh, so we're going to look back at that. And then Friday night, we've got Rewind to SmackDown live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern time for all cafe members to call into the show and talk about SmackDown, the response to Raw Underground. What's SmackDown going to do? Are they going to have fights on top of buildings above ground? Oh, SmackDown Overground. Okay. Interesting. You got to come back with something. True. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. Saturday, Post Pro Res, we'll have guest uh, Dylan Fox on that show. And then Sunday, the long and winding Royal Road, WH welcomes independent star Daniel Makabe as they will be going back to all Japan from January of 1992. All of that can be found postwrestling.com. As we shift on over to AEW Dynamite from well, Before we Daily's do that, Place. John. Oh, boy. As I said, we shift over to Dynamite from Daily's Place where there's a nice breeze going on. I think everyone, it's t-shirt weather, would agree. (sighs) T-shirt weather is right. And we are giving one away from store.postwrestling.com. We give one out to a patron every single week here in a via random draw. 
uh, our beautiful, lovely T-shirts of Rocky Maivia Picture Show, uh, Post Pro Res, as John mentioned, our MCU-inspired T-shirt that's been a hot, hot, hot seller. You can find it all at store.postwrestling.com. We're, we're going to be giving one of those out right now to a very lucky patron. All right. Way is going into the post-wrestling Tumblr. He is searching for all the members of the Post Wrestling Cafe who are automatically entered into this draw every single week to win an item from store.postwrestling.com. Way is looking at the name. He's saying, oh, man, this is a tough one. The winner is... Congratulations to... Uh... It is a tough one. Okay. Uh... Or it's someone Way knows. No, it... Daniel Boland. Congratulations to Daniel, Daniel Boland. Boland. Yeah. Why do you know that person? No, no, not not by um uh not personally. If your name is Daniel Boland and you're from Iowa, you'll be getting a post wrestling t-shirt. Congratulations to you. Congratulations, Daniel. You are this week's winner here on Rewind to Dynamite. And if you were at Daly's place, you would be in a t-shirt for the t-shirt weather that we had uh, from a week ago, because this was a, a taped show uh, of Dynamite. And therefore, it was Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Taz. Once again, no Excalibur. Do you expect him back next week? I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I, I do I do as well. I feel like if we were, we were going to get a response from AEW, I think we would have gotten one by now. It's been a week since all that came out. Haven't heard a thing about it. Um, and to be quite honest, I feel like the fervor has kind of died down online too. So, um, I, I think I, it had calmed. I think I thought it was like 24 hours of attention. And I think the only reason it lasted that long was because Excalibur was off the show. Um, yeah. it seemed that, you know, and for better or worse, I think when companies experience these issues and there, there's going to be more for multiple companies out there, I'm sure. The decision of we don't address it and we, you know, in this case, there was something, there was an actual, like an absence of a, of a talent from TV, but then they move on from it. I don't think there's going to be um, an outrage over Excalibur back next week. And I don't disagree with that decision that he shouldn't be back next week. I think AEW was probably taking precautions, you know, because it came out on the same day of these tapings. Uh, just to see what the online reaction was, to see if there was a great demand. And I would say from what I saw, I almost saw more reaction the other way around. People wanting Excalibur not to be punished for something like this because uh, it's been brought up that he has addressed it. Owens has addressed it in the past. Um, so that seems to be some of the reaction, dominant dominant reaction I saw about this online. And I feel as though AEW will probably take all of that into consideration. I mean, this kind of brings some other, you know, uh, questions to mind. Like, does it, is there like a, like, w will they talk about it at all? You know, will, will Tony Khan have to eventually answer questions about um, how this incident uh, compared to, per, for instance, the, the Sammy Guevara incident? Um, I don't, I don't think he will voluntarily um, address it but in a interview situation he could be asked about it uh, I will add one thing like this was this was noted in the in the observer that you know there had been some whispers going around that Excalibur made the call to remove himself so I, I don't know what the exact circumstances were if it was in fact an AEW call or an Excalibur call 
But well, that's very I, important I, I, to note. It, it, it is, yeah. But again, it doesn't seem like anybody is openly addressing what exactly happened. And you know, personally, I think I prefer just transparency about what's going on. But I also see that companies believe, hey. We're not going to say anything and the public is going to move on to the next controversy and we're just not going to address every single issue or take it by a case-by-case basis because yeah. I did reach out to AEW and I did not get a response on this one. Yeah, and you know, the loss of Excalibur is really not just for, you know, in this case, one episode of Dynamite. It's, it's two episodes of Dark and quite possibly the, even this uh, women's tag team tournament show that he very well could have been on. Very possible, yes. Immediately, we go into the 12-man tag, so they save probably a significant amount of TV time avoiding the entrances of all the teams here. We have Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, The Young Bucks, and FTR against Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, five, who is Alan Angels, and not ten, but instead nine. Is nine a, a new guy, or has nine always been around? Oh, dude, I have no idea, man. Like, who can keep track Because 10, 10 is uh, the the Preston Vance dude who was just standing with Anna Jay by the announcer's desk. I believe 10 actually has, like, like checks on his chest that indicate 10, I think. Yeah, not, 9 is, like, the ultimate putty. Like, just no discernible characteristics at all. He Doesn't 9 wear, like, a full bodysuit? Yeah, he's completely covered. So 9 um, doesn't like to get sunburnt. Um, and that's it. Like, man, I like that. That's a trivia question. Name all the members of the Dark Order. You know what they really missed out on, though, is that by introducing nine and maybe they will hold this off for a tag team run is this this new guy with Alan Angels doing a double team spot. The nine to five. I love it. Work it. Nick Jackson was awesome in this match. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Uh, he just leaped to the top with this super Rana off the top to, to nine. Uh, this was just like a really great laid out match when it came to all of the men involved here. And Ross was comparing uh, Dax Harwood's elbow strikes to those of Johnny Valentine, then made the comparison of uh, Dash Wilder catching five with a power slam to Buzz Sawyer. And they all ganged up on five and then Nick scales to the floor, uh, scales to the top and flips to the floor. Uh, FTR does not take pl- take part in this four-on-one attack. They just uh, obey the rules. And then Harwood messes up his knee on a double-team spot, and it leads to Wheeler and Hangman Page taking Harwood to the back. So it's just the Bucks and Kenny Omega that are there to take on the six members uh, of the opposing team. So Matt has to fight underneath with the numbers disadvantage. Uh, There's a big firing up spot by Matt who dives off the stage and takes out everyone like he had just hit special. And Nick is still down on the floor and he's selling after being attacked. Uh, Paige eventually returns and tags in and he looked great coming in, uh, hitting five with a fallaway slam, taking out Cabana. And then the moonsault delivered to the floor on all members of Dark Order, except for Brody Lee. This was a great sequence from Paige. Cabana then took control, nailing uh, Paige with the Chicago skyline. Omega dives in for a big save and the Bucks are in. Uh, They're hit with the 450 cannonball combo from Uno and Grayson. Uh, 
Page actually takes the 450. He kicks out. And then the Bucks are doing the super kick party around to everybody, including a double super kick into a Snapdragon by Omega. And Page goes for the Buckshot Lariat. And Brody Lee ducks. And Page nearly hits his partner, Omega. And then with Omega gone, Lee capitalizes, hitting Page with the Discus Lariat. And Brody Lee pins Hangman Page 17 minutes and 30 seconds. I I really enjoyed this match quite a lot. Just tons of action. And by the end of it, I think we probably have our tag title match, I would think, for the pay-per-view with Brody Lee and Cabana going for these titles. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a book coming off of this. Um, certainly, like, Dark Order at this point really need something strong in order for for them to be taken seriously. I mean, I think they've been wildly entertaining on being the elite, but as far as their in-ring booking goes, they they really are at a very low level. So having Brody Lee here pin handling page, I thought was smart booking. I think they absolutely needed it. And, you know, even if you're the elite, you can certainly uh, rely on, like, blaming the FTR's absence uh, as a result. I, I thought uh, storyline-wise, they continued to tease Hangman Page's allegiances between FTR and the Elite with him leaving the match and, be, you know, Tony criticizing him for, for doing it. Um, I really thought Grace, Grayson and Uno stood out. They looked fantastic. And, you know, to me, I I really hope they get a lot more time to shine. The best friends arrived in... Trent's mom's minivan, but Sue was not with us tonight, but this minivan was going to have a big evening. And Chuck Taylor also was sporting a Vancouver Grizzlies jersey. Cool. Not a big Grizzlies fan, were you? Um, no, I wasn't. Were you? I had a Bryant Big Country Reeves jersey when I was a kid. Really? I got two NBA jerseys when I was younger. I got one of Bryant Reeves, and I got a Jerry Stackhouse jersey for the 76ers. And within a month of me getting that jersey, he got traded. Uh, that sucks. But why, why the Vancouver – like, why those ones, I guess? Um, I, I was a legit, like, Jerry Stackhouse fan. And I, okay. I liked the, the 76ers design. Big country, it was discounted at this local store, and <laughs> – I, okay. I just wanted a second jersey, so that was it. But okay. uh, I wore it, and I got I got mocked for wearing a big country jersey, and that kind of made it more appealing to me because all my friends had Raptors jerseys and stuff. I was like, no, screw them. I'm with the Grizzlies. <laughs> you, uh, you're, you're ahead of the curve, I think. I, I definitely picked wrong. We got a preview of Moxley and Darby Allen where they note that uh, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks have been banned from the building. And Taz is pissed about this. He hopes both Allen and Moxley leave in ambulances tonight. Moxley cut a promo that early in his career, he struggled with demons. People would talk him out of doing crazy stuff like death matches. And part of him wishes he listened, but part of him is glad that he did these things and wouldn't change a thing. And now he understands Darby because now Moxley finds himself in the veterans role as the voice of reason. And he is concerned for Darby's health. He said the last time they met, he almost broke Darby's neck, and he doesn't want to end Darby's career. Darby's his favorite guy in AEW, but the title's on his line, and that means that he's got to do what he's got to do. And he tells Darby, when it's time to stay down, just stay down, even though I know you're not going to listen. 
I'd forgotten that these two had a singles match together on an episode of Dynamite, but that and was... that was a horrific-looking paradigm shift the way Alan went down. I instantly remembered it when Moxley brought this up. It was way back. Like, I, I looked this up. It was only on the eighth episode of Dynamite, way back when. Wow. So that was a long time ago. Um, certainly, like, by this point, the stakes are a lot higher with the title involved. I certainly had wished that there was more time for them to build to this particular match. Instead, all we really got was this particular promo from Mox in order to try to like remind us of all that backstory and to set this one up. But I think in a short amount of time, Mox did a great job. Yeah. I mean, this was largely the buildup for it. We got a point and we got this promo and that was our, our buildup for it. So I, I thought Moxley did a really good pro- promo here. Uh, and it's kind of tough because we're starting to see this pattern now of these matches with Darby Allen. Like it's like, it's, it's a good formula, but it's one that they have gone to the well with several times with him. He's so good at it, though. Like, he's such a good underdog. I mean, it really is his thing. And um, for the moment, I still really enjoy it. Um, Even in losing efforts, the guy, like, still manages to get over. And that, to me, is an incredibly, like, special trait that few people can can get. Like, he he doesn't need to win. Like, he should win occasionally, yes. He can't just be jobbed out all the time. But in these big matches against guys that are higher on the card... I really would argue that it's better for his character to lose because I think, you know, what is important that is that when the time is right, that he is booked strong, like for his appropriate level that he is booked strong. And when it's eventually time to move him up to that main event level, that's when you really have to go all the way. But I I think with him, it's going to be a very long-term story. Well, I do have faith that they have a long-term idea for Darby Allen as well, because you'd be blind to not see the upside and talent that this guy possesses. Like they've got something very special in this guy. Oh my God. From day one, I feel like they, they, they probably saw it within him. So I have, I have that faith too. Probably on the wrestlers. That would be day one that they saw him. Mm, Maybe. Or Ethan page, throwing them in a body bag to uh, over the top rope. Mm -hmm. Santana and Ortiz against the best friends. Ross uh, was talking about risk control here. And there's a lawn dart by Taylor into a cutter by Ortiz, and Ross is setting up the picture-in-picture, but they don't go to the picture-in-picture, and the best friends do the hug, and Tony's on give-the-people-what-they-want duty, and Jim Ross just says, I want a damn picture-in-picture. And then he got his picture-in-picture. I guess, um... Give the announcer what he wants. Yeah, he... I, I... I don't know. Is it is it miscommunication? I don't know what that was. Well, miscommunication was next because Ross was talking about a lackadaisical cover and Taz just lost it here. He argued that not every pinfall attempt requires you hooking the leg. Sometimes it's a strategy. It's psychological. By forcing your wounded opponent to have to kick out and exert that energy as the person on top is just trying to drain you. That's interesting. I never never thought about it that way. And that's why we require wrestlers to be on the commentary desk. Yeah, Taz was in a foul mood here over this uh this strategy not being applauded. Uh there was a superplex to Ortiz by Trent off of Taylor's shoulders, then they attacked the lower back of Trent, and as Santana and Ortiz were in control, they set up for the street sweeper, but Taylor runs back, he gets onto the apron and stops Santana, allowing Trent to roll up or- Ortiz in 13 minutes, 35 seconds, ending the three-match winning streak that Ortiz and Santana had going that I was not aware of. Me neither. Um, 
Yeah, but okay. I don't know if that was su- supposed to be significant at all, but uh, I didn't really get into this match. In fact, I was a little bored by it. And I think 13 minutes was long, especially we were coming off like a big tag match before this. Um, I like best friends. I think they're very talented and I like Santana and Ortiz, but I I felt a little bit of that drag throughout this as well. Like this was a long time uh, for these two teams to go. Yeah. uh, For me, it's, it's maybe just my, my uh, level of interest in the best friends in general. For me, they haven't really had that big storyline that has really made me interested in the characters and in ring to me, they, they that's are, coming up. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, in ring to me, they're perfectly passable, but they again have yet to really stand out amongst the crop for me. MJF and Wardlow, they must just believe that MJF is golden because they promoted this throughout the week. An update from MJF, and this was by definition an update. We go into his campaign headquarters, which is a room in the back where. We've got posters and pins being designed for his uh, his AEW title challenge. And we've got Lee Johnson, who is now part of this team, who didn't put up a poster that was level on the wall. So MJF threw a fit on him. Then we checked up on his polling results. MJF is polling at 100%, Moxley at minus 88%. And then MJF is asked, what if Darby wins the title tonight? And he says, the 125-pound emo kid... Yeah, that would suck having to face him for the title. So it is the idea that he will have an, e- an easier path if there's a title change tonight. I, I think, you know, MJF, honestly, like doing anything, him ordering a coffee, uh, him, I don't know. Um, him having a shit fit without volume was pretty entertaining tonight. What do you mean? In that closing scene after Moxley won, they go to him in the back and there was no volume and he's just screaming. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, like him doing that is entertaining. I'm sure him taking money out of an ATM machine would be entertaining. So this, you know, it was just more of that. You put this guy in any scenario on TV, I think he'll make it work. And having him really go full on with this campaign thing, it's as fantastic as, as you'd expect. So I certainly look forward to more of these. Matt Hardy's in the ring. He discusses why he came to AEW. He saw the roster and he said, maybe I can just be an attraction here. And show the people like the best of the past Matt Hardy versions. But AEW listens to its audience and what they want is to see him be him. And that's what he's going to do on screen. He puts over a private party, reminding him of himself and his brother and said, he also tried to help Sammy Guevara and gave him the advice of leaving Jericho. But Sammy did not take that advice. And so when Guevara attacked him in a match, he returned the favor last week by attacking Sammy. So Guevara emerges from underneath the ring and comes up from behind, but Matt senses his uh, presence and catches him and they start brawling and they go to the floor and it ends with Sammy getting tossed over the table, but then attacks Matt and shoves him into the post, sets up Matt onto a chair or onto a table, grabs the chair and he just whips it towards Matt's face And Sammy goes onto the stage, does this crazy flip off the stage, putting Matt through the table, and he's just all bloody from this attack, and Matt is laid out for dead. Jesus, like, the amount of blood that, um, like, he drew for Matt from that chair tossed to his forehead was insane. Like, pools, you know? Like, I don't think there's been this level of blood in AEW since, like, that Dustin-Cody match. It was gruesome 
Um, I, I watched, I, I rewound this to, to get like a good look. Cause this chair went at an incredibly fast speed towards Matt. And the way they described it was like one of the legs caught him. The legs were in the opposite direction. So like this might've busted him open, but it also might've like, he might've gotten his arms up for this as well. If it was an intentional cut, uh, fuck that. <laughs> He definitely cut too deep because he stood up and there were pools of blood here, like way, like oh, all they, they, it was a lot here. Yeah. Oh my god, like gruesome. But you know, at the same time, if you're gonna bleed, um, it it might as well like be in a moment where like this where you have to sell for your heel opponent to you know do a big dive on you through a table because certainly this took you know I would say an otherwise rather cool feud by this point into uh, uh i'm sure it'll be seen as a really heated one once matt can cut these promos about like showing the cut on his forehead i'm sure he'll probably need stitches um you know showing black back these clips of just like this incredible visual of, of all this blood for matt hardy it definitely took this feud to uh, a heightened level yeah um and we got double double blood on this show triple really who was the third darby Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right with the lip. Santana is out in the back, and he looks into the camera. You want to see some real shit? And he has the mad ball, and they take the mad ball to Sue's minivan. And this is accompanied by a sledgehammer, and they destroy the minivan, including spray-painting Sue's name on it, on the hood, and then crossing out her name. Vandalism caught on tape here. The minivan meeting its demise. Yeah, this was um, certainly a first in wrestling, you know, um, starting, I guess, continuing a feud by destroying a mom's band. I actually love the idea. I think it's the exact type of ridiculous storyline story I've been waiting for from the best friends. Um, a really interesting way of uh, building heat. On the silly scale to try and build a grudge, destroying the mom's minivan or Mitch, the potted plant. What are we at? Well, Mitch, the potted plant wasn't supposed to be silly. I mean, that no, was it was to not supposed to be. And Jericho and was pissed and, afterwards uh, the way that the way the commentary handled it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think this was supposed to be heated as well, but with a, with a tinge of like comedy, because it is like that, you know, the same orange Cassidy, best friends type of crew. Um, I've, you know, Remains to be seen, really, how, how how serious this is. I'll say, like, I thought it was a lot more the serious. The response until, was not all that serious from the That's the, the thing. You know, for me, it's like, this was the type of incident that I think really called for Trent and um, uh, Chuck Taylor to, like, cut a really scathing, serious promo. And what we yeah. would go on to see later on in the segment, I just didn't feel that fire. S- same. We'll, we'll get to that. Cody and Matt Cardona versus Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Uh, Ross nearly calls him Zack Ryder, but he did catch himself and noted it. Um, Cody gets sent to the post and injures his ribs. And this would begin about a 25-minute heat segment of Cody selling his ribs and trying to fight back. This went on forever. Silver is, like, lighting him up with these kicks to the body, kicks to the head, drills him with a knee. And Cody just comes back. He hits a power slam. Makes the tag to Cardona, which led to Tony Schiavone with his call of the night. Gosh, he is a man. (laughs) He is a man, Matt Cardona. (laughs) Matt the man Cardona. Uh, 
Cardona hit a Tiger driver. Cody then hit the Cody cutter. And then the Dark Order double teams Cardona, uh, but he kicks out of a jackknife cover. Cody then suplexes Silver over the top. They just crash on the edge to the floor. That looked like no fun. And Cardona hit radio silence to pin Alex Reynolds in about 12 minutes. That's what he's renaming the Rough Rider. The Rough Rider, yes. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good match. You know, it was a match that was probably designed to, you know, introduce Cardona, obviously, to, to a brand new audience. But honestly, I thought he looked the least impressive to me in this match. Um, I really like barely in this too. They're like, this was Cody 90% and I'm with you. Like Cardona did not leave me with any like, wow, what a, what a great addition here. It was just very, very elementary. Yeah. I thought Silver and Reynolds like looked really good together. Obviously they're a long time tag team, but, um, now, um, I think you don't for- take them as a threat. I think that was the problem here with su- such a long, significant amount of heat on Cody that, there was nobody that could buy these two uh, beating Cody or beating Cardona in this first match. No, of course not. But at the same time, like I could still appreciate their in-ring work and they had some fantastic tag team maneuvers together. The, the, the timing of the two, you can clearly tell that these guys have spent years and years together. They're um, a very good team. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think they have a gimmick that is limiting, but they're very talented. Well, I mean, certainly, honestly, as a comedy act, they've been like stealing BTE every single week and they've been fantastic on that show. Um, but, you know, they weren't booked as a comedy act here. They were like booked to, you know, like really showcase their, their ability. I actually really enjoyed Cody selling here. Um, to me, he like he's great at expressing through his body language and through his facial expressions, uh, that babyface in peril struggle. And we don't really get to see it too often with him in a tag team situation, but I I actually really enjoyed watching him here. You know, Matt Cardona, like Zack Ryder, I don't think anyone who's seen his work would have like very high expectations in ring for him. Um, but uh, in AEW, where the in ring is more important, like the averageness really does stand out, and I think we'll limit him. Like in this match, he came across to me like a very typical WWE guy, more body than wrestling ability. But of course, like this is not the reason why people like him. So there's still plenty of room for him to get over through character, through charisma, through other things. Scorpio Sky then came out as Cody was leaving, and he. This is how you get a shot in AEW. You point to the title, and Cody gave the signal, and Scorpio's going to get a shot next week. Yeah, this builds off of off of a uh, Sky's promo on Dark. This yeah, about... he got into the ring with the with the chair. Yeah, yeah, just him, like I guess, being sick of being in the background, wanting to take an opportunity, and seems to set this up. Uh, and it's a match I am absolutely looking forward to. Like it seems like these types types of things are built for guys like Sky. The unfortunate thing, though, is that we've been through this with Sky. He had a great showing against Chris Jericho uh, that one week. Uh, you've kind of told that story. You know, when are they going to give a guy like that the ball for real? Yeah, I would say Sky has been one of those that, I mean, got that big win over Jericho and, you know, should probably come up short against Cody. Uh, But after that, like, is this the time you branch him away from SCU or again, like, where does he fit in uh, in the numbers game? Like, you can't push everybody is Sky in the column of guys that we have immediate plans for? Is he a long-term project, or is he kind of in the middle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lately, it doesn't seem to be much of room for him or, or Kaz, you know, as far as, like, um, tag team storylines. So, do you break off into singles runs? Or, I mean, is there more to be told as a tag team wrestler? Personally, I feel, I'm actually way more curious about him 
as a single star. I think a lot of people are. There's a lot of upside to Scorpio Sky. Trent and Taylor find the van. Chuck Taylor had told Sue she would take that he would take care of the minivan. Trent says, you can do anything you want to us, but you don't touch my mom's van. We're happy to have a rematch. And after we beat you, Santana and Ortiz will personally apologize to my mom on speakerphone. It's all really amusing and like it's it's all very entertaining and I hate to even like talk, talk bad about it because I, I mean they do absolutely have personality. It's that same sort of like negative anti-personality that like Orange Cassidy does so well. But I think, you know, as we'll go on to talk about in, in Orange Cassidy segment, there's a time where like you really it's a different, very, very fine line of like trying to balance the comedy with trying to be serious. And I just didn't really get it here. And make people want like we just watched them for thirteen minutes. What is my reason to want to watch another match between these two if it's not a uh, progression forward for either side? Like we saw Santana and Ortiz get really vicious and vandalize this van, and these guys are kind of cracking jokes about it. It's like, okay, well, you beat them once. Am I that? Am I invested enough to see another thirteen minutes from these two teams based on this promo where I wasn't? Well, he's gonna make. Santana and Ortiz apologized to uh, Sue on speakerphone, so that might be the hook. Okay. Uh, Guevara came up with his cue cards um, for the, I guess, for the picture-in-picture portion, and that's to set up the AEW Super Wednesday debate. We've got two podiums in the ring with both American and Canadian flags represented. Did you notice that? I did notice, yes. And our guest moderator is introduced, Eric Bischoff, who is keyed as groundbreaking pro wrestling executive. And they brought up that it has been 20 years since he was last on TNT in the summer of 2000. Now, my question to you, was it a mistake not advertising this? You know, by this point, I feel like so many people already knew about the surprise that um, you might as well have. Um, The fact that they didn't, perhaps... I don't, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Maybe they just didn't feel the need to. Um, I think promoting for a week, Eric Bischoff returns to TNT. Eric Bischoff's on AEW for the first time. Like, there's no surprise pop. So you're throwing that out the window. It's almost like, why keep it a secret? And to me, I, I do think, like, people that are listening to, like, are on websites and radio shows, I think that that's... That's a smaller audience. I, I would have advertised this ahead of time. There was no reason it needed to be a surprise. And it's not as though you're getting some shocking reaction either. And I think Bischoff being on TNT, I think that people would be – they were already interested in the debate. Uh, and you add Bischoff to it. And I think that that only elevates the segment in terms of curiosity. I guess I do wonder if there's a, a part of them that feels like they don't want to be criticized for relying on nostalgia. I mean, they ended up getting criticized for that anyway once news of this got out. But I think as you'll see in the segment, this was hardly, um, I think, you know, like a ploy to get people to watch because of Eric Bischoff, like, you know, the way Shane McMahon was used on Monday. This just happened to be surprise cameo. Yeah, but once you've made the decision to use them, use them for all he's worth. You can't be like tiptoeing that, oh, we don't want to be criticized for this. And I I, I don't think you'd think like that. To me, it's like, you're going to use them. Let's get the most out of him. Like Eric Bischoff, the value is the curiosity factor. Um, 
Anyway, I, I would have promoted this in advance. I don't think this needed to be some hidden surprise but on seeing, the show. Seeing the, the type of role he ended up playing, would people have been disappointed if they were expecting like a full-on Eric Bischoff, you know, character type of thing? Which this I wasn't. Think, I, I think if you advertised him as the moderator, he's back on TNT. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're delivering exactly what you're promising. This is exactly what I expected. I thought he was fine in the role. Mm. Uh, so he comes out. And he said that we have five questions for Jericho and Orange Cassidy. Neither man has seen these questions in advance. Jericho's in a brand new suit with Hager carrying the orange juice stained jacket on a coat hanger. And our first question is, why does Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy hate one another so much? And Jericho is glad that Cassidy dressed up for the occasion, being sarcastic, to which Cassidy puts on a clip-on tie. And he despises Orange Cassidy for not taking anything seriously. People laugh behind your back, the critics, the historians, and says that so do I. You're a ginger ass that plays pocket pool on a weekly basis. Uh, breaking new ground, uh, I think our first masturbation joke on Dynamite. Pocket pool, okay. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't familiar with that term. Well, maybe Orange wasn't either because he did not respond to this. May, it might have been a dated term. Then they're asked, who is the better wrestler and who is the biggest star? And Jericho laughs off this question. He's held over 50 titles. Orange hasn't even been out of Florida. If he was in high school with Cassidy, he'd kick his ass, take his milk money, and his girlfriend. You're a nerd. (laughs) And he says, I'm wearing a $10,000 suit. And for some reason, I really enjoyed this combination. You smell like salami, Drakkar Noir, and batteries. Did you ever get milk money as a kid? I didn't get milk money because they didn't sell milk uh, when I went to school. I don't milk know. Milk money, like that's, that's, I got it like the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Like verbiage for Chris Jericho. Like. Yeah. To- He's like Biff Tannen in 1985. Exactly. Yes. Um, this was our second Drakkar Noir reference, wasn't it? it? That's been brought up in the past, I think by Jericho. What is Drakkar Noir? It's a it's a type of a cologne, I think. Okay. Anyway. Then <laughs> the third question is global sea levels have been rising. What are your thoughts on this serious global issue? And Jericho just wants to pan to the next question, but then Orange Cassidy clears his throat. <clears throat> sea levels continue to rise at a rate of one eighth of an inch per year. A higher sea level enables storms to push further inland and therefore creates the dangerous flooding in communities. And a failure to minimize our fossil fuel use and reduction of carbon emissions could be dangerous with the estimated 40% of the U.S. population that live in these coastal communities and globally eight of the world's largest 10 cities. Thank you. I I mean, thank you, John. I can't like you recap that whole thing uh, masterfully. Um, it's, I, I now have a new direction. I want to see them take the Alistair Black character. <laughs> it's human all- rights advocate, social issue, uh, uh, a guy that stands up for social issues worldwide. You know, like this gag of like the quiet guy not saying anything until like something ridiculous like this, where he ends up reading like a whole essay. Um, I think eventually you would have expected something like this from Orange Cassidy, but I think what I was really impressed by was the delivery. Because there are certainly a lot of words, and I think he could have played it as if, you know, 
He was full on, like completely different character, uh, very loud and very, I don't know, exaggerated. And ex- I guess uh, almost like extravagant. But he said all these words, but he still did it with complete minimal effort. Like he took one big breath, let all the words out, uh, not emotional at all, just like the most monotonous delivery. And it was absolutely hilarious because it stayed true to the character. You know who he made me think of during this answer was not to say he's like the, it's like the basis of the character, but in this moment, answering this specific question was Brian Danielson, because he talked about this story many times that when he was in WWE, they did these tests that he had to go through and they found him to be something like the least ambitious was like, his scores read that he was like the least ambitious of everybody. And it's very much like this character here that like, doesn't show any ambition. But when you talk about real world problems, he has a deep concern about the problems with the earth. Yeah. I I really like would like to know a bit more about this test. Cause when I think of Brian Danielson, I don't think about non-ambitious person at all. Like, he seems like, to me, one of the more passionate people that I I think there's been in professional wrestling, whether it be, you know, about, like, look at the man's struggle to come back to wrestle. Like, look at how well-studied he is about various styles across the world. Like, he seems to me one of the, I guess, is there a difference between passion and ambition? And really, what exactly was this test measuring? Are we talking about how much money a person wants to make or how happy a person wants to be or how important, you know? Um, of a life they want to live. Um, well, and again, like, as I recall, this was like a WWE uh, uh, survey and I'm sure it was very much things like, you know, what, you, what, how much you weigh on uh, material gain or being a, a main event wrestler and different. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea what the questions made up, but yeah, I think everyone knows uh, Brian Danielson that um, you would, you would not necessarily say he, lacks ambition i think that he it just depends like ambitious about what 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 do you define as being a a complete uh individual with uh what what are your your needs in life versus what are just material gains right then they are asked why is orange cassidy so popular and jericho says he's everything that's wrong with wrestling the epitome of every smart mark fan in this arena lazy and entitled He's a pimple on the ass of the business, and next week he's going to pop him. And you're going to have to pay my $7,000 for my suit, and then you're going to leave the industry and go back to being Jim the Jamba Juice guy, and I'm going to come order a blueberry smoothie with extra protein and pumpkin seeds, and I'm not going to tip you, you prick. And Cassidy is not even going to respond to him. And the final question is, why does this rematch mean so much to you? And as Jericho gets set for one more annihilation, Cassidy cuts him off, tells Jericho to shut up. He knows what he's doing, trying to embarrass a guy that doesn't even talk. Well, he's not embarrassed, and I don't care. But I care about next week. It's the biggest match of my life, and it's the biggest match of your life, Jericho. Can you imagine if you lose to a guy that puts his hands in his pockets You look into my eyes and you look at the man who's going to embarrass you because this man is going to beat you. I thought this was about as perfect of a go-home segment for an Orange Cassidy uh, like big main event match as they could have ever created. Um, They created the absolute perfect circumstance 
or a character like Orange Cassidy to finally break his silence to cut, you know, what ultimately became like a pretty standard professional wrestling promo. But that's what makes this character so special. He doesn't speak, and for a long time, he barely wrestled. But when he does wrestle, he is spectacular. And here, when he finally does speak, he's also spectacular. Uh, you know, like from what I know about the man's story, he started out as like, you know, you're pretty common, typical, like cruiserweight wrestler, you know, probably very good, uh, in ring, uh, probably very good on this level of, of speaking, but those guys are a dime a dozen. Instead, this guy developed like a gimmick that, and got completely over doing the opposite over every other wrestler. And now that he is so over with an audience and people are paying attention, he's bringing these tools that he always had back. And now doing it this way he stands to be like the biggest breakout star of the entire company so he was fantastic jericho i thought was a genius here like leave it to this man to create such a compelling rivalry against somebody who doesn't speak i don't think any of this would be possible without him doing all the heavy lifting in a segment like this he was on fire throwing like the perfect dated like uncool old man types of daggers to counter orange cassidy's like just like effortless coolness and to me like i thought everything jericho did in here was in service to making the babyface look cool to make him look good and to make jericho himself look like the butt of the joke here he to me was like the mvp of this entire feud and what i absolutely love about all this is that the babyface again embarrasses chris jericho but you still leave the segment with the heel getting the heat with that double team attack ahead of the match. Um, so I thought this was all perfect. Yeah. Um, Bischoff declares Cassidy the winner. Jericho tells Bischoff he hasn't liked him for 22 years. Bischoff corrects him. They've known each other for 24. And I know how you feel. Jericho tells Cassidy he's going to kick the shit out of him and sends Hager to attack him. And I loved the fact that Jericho, talking all this shit, and he sends the goon on Cassidy. He's not even going to do it himself. And Hager just drills him with knees in the corner and they put Cassidy's hands in his pockets and he throws Cassidy into the Judas effect and his eyes are rolling back and they just leave him for dead when the best friends run out uh, to save them. And I just like the fact as well, like the best friends, they thought to like have them run out because that's not always a given that that detail is thought of. This was an awesome segment. They built this up to be, such a big match next week, and they have set the table for Cassidy to beat Jericho, and it feels like the biggest win in the world if he gets the upset. I just thought they did such a tremendous job setting this up. Like This this feels like a pay-per-view that they set up. Completely agreed. Uh, it's like, I, I almost forget that like the point of these, you know, contract signings or like go-home promos I almost forget the purpose of them and the purpose of them is to get you excited for these matches that are coming up right afterwards. Um, but it, I feel like it's been, you know, it's not always the case where we have these types of like talking segments lead to me feeling more excited, but this has absolutely done that. Uh, and I thought Bischoff, like for all the concerns and criticisms people had of AEW, like going to the nostalgia well, I, I liked that, him in the role. I thought he was, was he was great. I mean, it's totally overblown. Like here, they just needed somebody, you know, with a name to play a serious moderator. And Bischoff ended up being perfect for this role. He played the straight man perfectly here. Um, and Bischoff's Bischoff's always been a very good performer. Like I was not worried about him being very good in the in this role. Uh, 
I, I'm not arguing for him to be like a regular, but I thought he was very good in this this segment and added added you know another name to this whole thing. I, I thought he was he was very good. Seemed no indication that he was you know going to do anything beyond this. So Shivani is then with Britt Baker and Rebel, and Baker is going to choose Reba to take on Big Swole, and so this this was a real mess. I thought so. Reba is freaking out that she's been chosen to take on Big Swole, and she's got to play like Ali's character in Impact, where she doesn't know anything about wrestling to the point that she struggles to get into the ring. And the match begins, and Taz notes, you know, Rebels had over 100 matches. She just hasn't wrestled in a long time. Mm -hmm. And to me, that completely defeated the story that was being told here, is that this woman doesn't know how to even enter this ring, much less she's completely out of her element. And you're explaining she's had over 100 matches. Like, why don't we just bring up that she's, like, gone to Japan and stuff? To me, it was, like, two totally different stories that were happening between the announcers and what I was watching in the ring where she's all tentative and pretends she can't wrestle. She climbs to the top, gets so scared that she climbs to the second turnbuckle and misses a moonsault uh, and then gets hit with Dirty Dancing and Big Soul wins in a minute 42. I mean, at least it was short, but I thought they totally missed the mark on this. That inconsistency, I I, th- I think, was is a very good point. Um, I I don't know if it's just a case of like a lack of communication between like the commentary and 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 what this match was supposed to be in in story, or just like the announcers trying to do too good of a job. You know, like typically they 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 are fantastic because they fill in these gaps. They let you know that these people have had experience elsewhere. And they make them feel like they're better wrestlers than they actually are. Unfortunately, in this case, the story called for the exact opposite. In in Reba, really, you know, playing a makeup artist who has seemingly like rarely, if ever, wrestled before. And as a performance itself, I thought Reba Rebel. She, I actually thought she did great. Like playing a wrestler, dogging it, like on purpose, basically looking like a bad wrestler. I thought she was really funny. I've actually been really impressed by her comedic ability throughout all, this entire uh, Britt Baker storyline. Um, now that, of course, like the commentary stuff doesn't make sense. I'll get, I'll say like, it also doesn't really make sense why Britt Baker would choose somebody inexperienced as an obstacle for her opponent. No, not, through. not at all for the, for this story. Like she's trying to run from big swole and gave her a cakewalk. Like yeah. the easiest possible opponent. And j- just on the point of like Taz as well, like that is like in AEW, it's not like, okay, Rebel is this makeup artist and we're, we as the audience is, are not supposed to know that she was in TNA and she's gone to stardom. It's, it's always assumed like, you know who this person is. We're not going to pretend that that past doesn't exist. Uh, they it never just, really it didn't, mentioned it though. I mean, she's always just been treated as the makeup artist. Yeah, they haven't, but it, at, at the same time, it's it's not like we're in our enclosed world in AEW. Like, they openly bring up, like, other companies existing and people's histories that I can understand why that would be the assumption here, but that was not the story being told, and I just, that to me was the massive disconnect here. Yeah, it's I guess one of those kind of unfortunate things where, like, at the same time, they want to respect, like, these performers, like, past you know histories in other companies at the same time 
you get into situations where you, you know, sometimes a performer might want to be completely rebranded as something brand new. And that's what this role called for. Um, so, yeah, just a bit of a miscommunication, I would say, between the production and, and the wrestling. Next week, they announced Cody and Scorpio Sky for the TNT title, Chris Jericho against Orange Cassidy, and it is Tag Team Appreciation Night, hosted by FTR. So it's going to be Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. They did not label this a title match. Dark Order, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson taking on the Young Bucks, which is probably going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And appearances by Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and the Rock and Roll Express, presumably all four together. Amazing. Straight from uh, Talking Shop of Mania to AEW. Look at those guys. Just getting bookings throughout the pandemic. Uh, this looks like a loaded lineup next week. Yeah, I'm really interested in the whole tag team celebration thing. Um, I mean, every week I think AEW has done a really good job of giving you that hook to to tune in. Like, as we mentioned, next week almost feels like a mini pay-per-view, given how good this uh, opening, uh, this talking segment was between Jericho and Cassidy. This week they had Moxley versus Allen in a title match. Like, every week since, like, they've really done a great job of making all these shows must-see. There's definitely an idea you could have where FTR is there with Arn and Tully, and you have the Rock and Roll Express, and somehow getting the Bucks involved, who have been, you know, linked at, at times in the past with the Rock and Roll Express, and then you've got Arn and Tully, who are kind of got this affiliation with FTR, and you know, th- you have the makings to set up that direction between the Bucks and FTR coming out of this tag team appreciation night, and who's the better tag team? Uh, it, so much like to be drawn from. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to this episode next week. I think there's a, there's a lot to uh, next week's show. And then the main event, John Moxley, Darby Allen for the AEW title. Allen comes out wearing a John Moxley face, a printout of his face. In black and white, no less. Color costs a lot. It took two tries for Moxley to rip this thing off his face. And Allen then slaps him, and John Moxley pops him in the mouth with this right hand and bloodies up his lip. Now, do you think this was intentional? Um... I think it's really tough to try to get blood on the mouth and the lip, you know, unintentionally. Yeah. Or at least it's 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 not something I'm aware of. So for all we it, know, Darby might have leaned into this. Uh, you could have told him, hey, like hit me really hard on the lip. <laughs> Punch me. Like, absolutely. I could buy that because it, it definitely added something to the match. Again, you know, they've really got lucky with some of the blood here. They fought onto the stage. Darby got thrown off the stage and got hit with the post. And... <laughs> Moxley rolls him into the ring and says, this is where I pin you. And Darby kicks out. And Moxley is just beating the hell out of this guy. Allen fights back. And he places Moxley's hand on top of the post and steps on it. And then hits a somersault to the floor. And Moxley's selling of his hand. Like, he's selling like this thing is broken. He's trying to rearrange his fingers. And he can't even use the hand. Allen attacks the fingers. Code red for a near fall. And then Wardlow comes out, distracting the referee. It's Rick Knox, so, I mean, you don't even have to distract him. It's not like this guy's DQing anybody. MJF runs in with a belt shot to Moxley, and this leads to Darby hitting the coffin drop. Moxley kicks out, but the belt shot has split open Moxley, so he's bleeding all over the place. Allen goes for... The blood was rather... like kind of unfortunate because who could have predicted like Man Hardy would get that level of color. So as a result, like 
Mox's blade shot looks looked relatively tame by comparison, but it was actually like a really beautiful, perfect looking blade shot from Mox. It, it, and I thought, you know, in, ma- in a match like this, I thought it was justifiable. Yeah, and again, like, it very well could have been just legit with Matt, because on the surface, knowing you were doing this in the main event, I I wouldn't have had those two on one show. Yeah. So, Alan goes for this back elbow, and it looked like they just cracked heads uh, doing this. Uh, Just looked very uncomfortable. He goes for another coffin drop, and he lands in the rear naked choke. He's able to fight it, and then Moxley has to dig deep, and he goes back to his lessons from earlier this year, he hits the gotch pile driver while he's favoring his hand. Darby kicks out of the pile driver and then Moxley goes into the corner. He genuflects and makes the sign of the cross because he knows what he has to do. And he lifts up Darby big paradigm shift. He pins him in 1428. And then it was, uh, it took me back to a very famous scene at WrestleMania where Moxley got on top of his fallen opponent and held him close. I'm talking about Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali at the kickoff show of WrestleMania 34. <laughs> do you remember this? Where they did I the do. Sean and Flair moment heart and on the soul. kickoff? Yeah, heart and soul. Heart yeah. and soul. That was it, of yes. Uh, of now, look, now look where they have ascended on Raw. He holds on to Allen and... Backstage, we see MJF. I just love that the volume was off here, and he is screaming, and you can't hear a thing. And Jim Ross signs off saying, stay tuned for Saving Private Ryan. And that's how Dynamite <laughs> ended. Mm. Um, You know, I thought despite the lack of build, despite the lack of, I guess, I guess this is like 14 minutes was actually quite considerable. But uh, with the paper, with the commercial break, it, it feels less because they don't really do a whole lot in these commercial breaks. I, I still thought it was a really good, very compelling match. I think from the get-go, the story was really strong here. You tune in and you immediately know what this is. This is Big Brother versus Little Brother. Two very similar guys from from like a same family of styles. Big Brother dominates the entire match, but Little Brother will never give up. And despite the loss, like ends up feeling like a hero, Darby Allen does. Um, I thought both guys did a fantastic job telling this. I, I, you know, again, wish this too could get a proper build with a proper length of a match for a pay-per-view in front of a proper crowd. But something tells me this is going to be a very long-term story. And this is just another chapter in Mox versus Allen before Allen, years down the line, perhaps, will finally surpass Mox. Yeah, I think that you have really laid the groundwork that, you know, you have the long-term with Cody and Darby. You have this with Moxley. Um I wouldn't want to wait forever on Darby. I mm-hmm. think that that sometimes in wrestling, we can say like timing is everything and you wait too long and you miss it with, with certain people where they kind of get put into a, a slot in, in people's eyes. Uh, and they have so much with, with Darby Allen, but uh, I enjoyed this main event. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I would say for this episode, I, I thought some of the, I really didn't get into the Cody and Matt Cardona tag match. Uh, I was with you on the best friend Santana and Ortiz. Like, it was fine, but it did kind of drag at times. But I really enjoyed this main event. I loved that debate segment. The debate, I thought, was the strongest thing on the show. And I really enjoyed the 12-man. Like, that was uh, a super fun multi-person tag match that uh, the Bucks are great in, when they're involved with. I I ended up, like, enjoying Dynamite quite a bit because, like, um, I ended up, like, on such a high from, like, those those peaks of like the debate as well as like the main event 
those two things to me like made the show already like well worth watching and i think you like you said there's a great opener and really nothing in this show that was all that offensive at all in fact it was you know the worst offense is that is something was just average and that was it but uh otherwise i thought everything was quite entertaining and it built and ended pretty strong what what did you make of the the gotch pal driver you know is there anything more to that than just him pulling out a new move I, I don't think it's it's uh, directly indicating anything with uh, Minoru Suzuki, but just uh, again, like it goes to the point with, with Rebel that in AEW, your entire wrestling uh, existence is referred to. And with Moxley, like he came out of this massive feud with Minoru Suzuki, and it's something he took from that feud. And I thought that was the direct reference that it made sense of why he was using that specific move because he has to go to somewhere deeper to beat Darby when, uh, when, you know, he survived the rear naked choke and he utilized that. Yeah. Like for him to just kind of pull that out as like, you know, um, almost like a pseudo finisher out of nowhere. I, I went crazy for it. So, uh, yeah, I like that match a lot. I like that stuff. It's like on this show, like, okay, they're not working with new Japan, but his new Japan work. It's not like that doesn't exist on this show. Like that is everything is on his resume. So uh, again, like um, I I like that fact, like they don't insult you and they can, they can draw upon that because they're not in this narrow view that our audience is only going to pay attention to our stuff. It's like our audience probably has watched all his new Japan stuff. So let's, let's lean on that for our gain for cool spot in a match. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, feedback time on forum.postwrestling.com tonight. You scored Dynamite a 7.74. Noah from Vaughn kicks us off. Fantastic episode of Dynamite. The 12-man tag was spectacular, and the main event was one of the best Dynamite main events in a while. Darby and Moxley have such great chemistry. Match was fantastic, especially the final five minutes. The debate was one of the best promo segments AEW has done so far. Jericho was great, Bischoff was great, and Cassidy was incredible. Silver and Reynolds looked fantastic in their match. Gotta think they are getting rewarded for their stellar work on being the elite. I thought commentary was miles better tonight than last week. All three of them were excellent. 9.5 out of 10 from Noah. You know, I'll also say, like, uh, because this is a tape show, like, the difference in the crowd audio was very noticeable. And I have to say, I really enjoyed tonight's show way more than last week's. Much uh, more livelier. Because they sweeten that audio, and it makes a huge difference. Like, imagine tonight's main event, or that 12-man, if the crowd sounded the same as last week. Um, I think it would have made a big difference. So, It almost makes you wonder, like, why they need so many people in the crowd. If, they, if that's how they naturally sound, like... Mm-hmm. It's not like we're doing an overabundance of crowd shots, and it's not like even a, like sweeping through the crowd with with a jib is making you say, "Wow, look how many people are here." It's it, it's almost like you don't need all these people to be in the crowd if you're going to rely on the better sounding fake noise. Well, like the, uh, I you know, for the for the shows that they tape very close to air, I, I guess they don't really have that luxury. And I mean, you can't have nobody there and just have sound. I suppose. Like if it was just like the ringside people, like that's pretty much all you're seeing. It's not like we're looking out into the stands and stuff. So you're saying they don't need the extra people outside of the ringside people. No, I don't think I I agree. Yeah, I don't really know why. 
Uh, we go. We go to Kenny, who says next time Excalibur needs to negotiate his contract, all he has to do is bring a tape of the last two shows. Besides the main event, I thought all of the in-ring action really suffered without him. To be honest, I think Best Friends got what they deserved. If you're going to park your van in the middle of the street with no other cars around, you can't be too mad when your tires get stolen. Where does everyone else in AEW park? While I think Matt and Cody versus Dark Order is a candidate for worst men's match on Dynamite this year, there was a lot of good stuff on the show. I really enjoyed the main event. Britt and Sammy were both great as always, and NJF came off as a real main event heel. Seven Matt Hardy, WTF Blade Jobs out of 10. I mean, I can see that. Like, we're talking about, you know, the, our biggest, cri- like, I, I mean, you, you enjoyed it more than me. But when so much focus is on Silver and Reynolds' performance, um, you know, the focus of that match should have been Matt Cardona. Like, he should have been the one coming out of that. And I was with you. Like, he was he was not the standout in that match at all. Like To me, that, that it, it's, it's always a really big question for a guy like him who doesn't necessarily you know, stand out because of his in-ring work. How is he going to fit in a promotion like AEW? I think it really highlights the differences fundamentally between an AEW roster and a WWE roster and an AEW style of, you know, TV and a WWE style of TV. Um, Yeah, he presents a, 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 I don't know, interesting sample. Trevor from Edmonton. This show had a lot of good stuff on it from the opening 12-man to the excellent main event was one of the best episodes of Dynamite this year. That said, I still think AEW needs to do better with its women's division. The only women's match on the card was basically a squash, and I don't recall any plugs for the women's tag tournament. That's a good point. They didn't bring it up at all, and I uh, think that... The lower third, like, as much promotion as they usually give for Dark, which really isn't a whole lot. To me, that tag tournament, it shouldn't be treated like it's Dark. To me, yeah. that I, I think tonight it required a, hey, we kicked off a big tournament on Monday. Here are the highlights and here's what's coming up next week. Like to me, it's not like I missed the lower third mention. And I think that goes to tell you the, the retention of like those lower third mentions that like, why are we doing this tournament? If it's such a little focus on, on your main show, like it doesn't need to be five minutes of recap, but you know, 60 seconds of, Hey, this is what went down and this is what's coming up on Monday. Totally agree. I think like a video package is really not a whole lot to ask at this point, Um, especially when you're talking about a lot of people who, you know, otherwise will have absolutely zero presence following this tournament on Dynamite. Um, And also, like, what what is up with this AEW heels thing that I've read about in your update? So it's they're do it's it's like this um, subscription, like it costs forty nine dollars for the month, or sorry for the year, and like it's a community for female viewers to like join in on different like initiatives that they're going to be doing like different Q and A's with uh talent um, doing different. You, you're just going to be pay for that. It's yeah. It, like it's, it's like a, a fan club service and it's designed for like female audience members to have like a place that AEW is, is catering to them. So fan club. Okay. So you get like merch and stuff. I think I think there's an aspect to that. I mean, they just announced this uh, today and I saw, you know, I saw a lot of people that thought it was a really cool idea and I saw a lot of other people that were very negative towards it. I mean, to me, I I mean, I didn't have much thought towards it when they were launching this. I mean, it's it's an idea that they've got and I think people are turned off by the fact that they're promoting like this, you know, safe space that is going to cost people money. But to that, I would say, you know, it's. I think I think the the idea is that having a subscription service, it's they want it to be a place where it's not going to be full of people that you know are are trolls for lack of a better term. 
Right. Okay. I mean, it certainly is an interesting idea. And I think like, like they certainly should be commended for trying new things and at least putting a lot of attention, like in this department to try to, um, I don't know, just like create more awareness for women's professional wrestling. But yeah, and that's it, and, and but it that's might... wildly inconsistent when the TV itself does not do the same. And you can argue that that's certainly the most important part. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's um, it, it's a big criticism of AEW that they're not focusing enough on developing their their female talent. And you know, you have a great personality to build everything around in Britt Baker, who who's hurt right now. But I mean. Listen, I, I thought that that segment really did not work at all tonight. I, I was not a fan uh, of the segment, but even more so, it's that you're putting these resources into a YouTube project, and I just ask why? Like, why is this going to be? You know, even if you have the finals on TV, it's very much going to. It sounds like it's going to be primarily YouTube, and if you're not even going to promote it, like, why? Why now? Why are you doing it now at this point? We go to Trevor from Edmonton, who says, This show had a lot of good stuff on it, from the opening 12-man match to the excellent main event. This was one of the best episodes of Dynamite of the year. That being said, I still think AEW... Oh, sorry, you just read that. Oh, this this segued into our uh, our next one. Let's let's <laughs> go to uh, Nick here. All right, we got a Nick from Lansing, who says, What an entertaining show, from the hot multi-man tag that built on couple a couple stories, a debate segment that got a couple laughs out of me, an absolutely killer main event, Santana and Ortiz might be on an unfortunate losing streak, but after they defiled Sue's car, I hope they get their asses kicked again. My one criticism of the show is the lack of women's segments. Especially on a week when they're debuting the women's tag tournament, they should have been featuring more of the competitors to push people to YouTube. They have a lot of talented women, but they're given almost no TV time. And I'm worried they'll keep trying to wave it away with they have their own show now. I agree with that. I think at the very least, like draw the names on, on Dynamite and set up the matches for Monday. Mm-hmm. Charles from Alberta. I thought the 12 man was all right. Could have been better. And I thought the match of the night was the best friends and Santana and Ortiz. I thought Santana and Ortiz attacking the van was awesome. And the best friends reaction was awesome. How did they take off the tires of the van so fast? MJF was all right. Not great. And times like this, I don't like seeing blood from Matt Hardy and John Moxley tonight. I thought Matt Cardona and Cody was not great as well. This is a one sentence feedback. Uh, seven out of 10. We got a man who says, all in all, I thought it was a decent show with some good segments. The opening match was great, but the main event felt like it lacked another gear to get into it. But I get it. Being a TV match and a setup for MJF and Moxley. I just think it makes Darby Allen look weak. He couldn't get the finish after that brutal headshot. Also, why no plug for the women's tournament? Andrew from Cape Breton. Pretty good show tonight. Highlight was the debate. I was lukewarm going into it. I thought it would be the normal Orange Cassidy shtick, but it turned out to be one of my favorite segments of the year. Cassidy's whole gimmick seems like the commentary an old-timer would have on the young wrestlers these days. Don't do much, and when you do something big, it's meaningful. Cassidy had my attention from that promo, and I think and I think I get the gimmick more than I have before. One issue I have with Darby Allen is when he puts on the cutout masks of his opponent, he reminds me of Joe Hendry, who does the exact same thing, but for his parodies on other wrestlers. Lastly, while the segment with the women was good, their handling of the division still is an issue. The comparison of their deadly draw tournament and 205 Live was on point. Basically, the women's division is to AEW what the cruiserweight division is to WWE. Swole looked great, though. 7 out of 10, still great in the end. You know, if, like, so much of the feedback just to our own little, like, message board community here has been about that women's tournament, you can guarantee AEW is getting a great deal of that same feedback tonight and... 
you know, they are, they do claim to be like a, a company that does listen to its fans. So, um, you have to imagine how they will respond, you know, following all this. You mind if we finish off here with uh, yep. Bruce from Vancouver? Okay. Yep. He, Bruce says, after a slightly lackluster showing last week, I had my fingers crossed for Dynamite to get back on, to get back on the great role it's been on for a few months. Overall, this felt like a solid, if not blow away, return to the median. The highlight of the show for me was the great promo for Mox, the grizzled vet pleading with a younger wrestler to not make the same mistakes they did, but knowing it'll fall on deaf ears suits him perfectly. That said, as amazing as last week's MJF promo was, it did somewhat hamper my anticipation for tonight's main event. The match itself did make good on both Mox and Darby's characters, though. Darby is the rare younger wrestler who can lose and lose and lose again and only have it benefit him. A couple of minor points. Would have liked to have gotten a promo from Cardona to get a sense of who he is and what he's fighting for in AEW, apart from being Cody's tan and Jack pal. Also, I'd love to hear Khan's Kate fave explanation for having a camera inside Trent's mom's van, but whatever. Yeah, I would love to hear that too. A uh, great point about Matt Cardona, you know, for a man like making a debut, I could have certainly like looked back at that match a bit more fondly if he grabbed the microphone after winning it to talk. Um, how is this going to be going to be different for him? Cause I think as many people liked Zack Ryder for who he was, I don't know how many people will just want to see a complete translation of that same guy in AEW. People want to see an evolved version of that. Some, something a bit, a bit different, something better than what that was. No, I think you want a departure, like not, not a complete, um, you know, th- there's aspects to Zack Ryder that I think you want to implement that, uh, you know, are probably very close to the guy as well. But for a lot of people, it's Zack Ryder is associated with like an undercard WWE guy who is not, not utilized. And for those that want to lean on all the YouTube stuff, I mean, dude, that was nine years ago. That was a long time ago that that stuff, like that was peaking in 2011. And a year later was like the bloom was far from the rose when he had uh, just been kind of utilized and then cast aside. So I think that you're going way back to assume that the same fan base that was following all that is necessarily like that they're just going to forget about the prior nine years and i would i think the idea of doing several promos before that first match and building up this guy that that would be a service to him for sure okay thank you everybody for your feedback thanks to everybody for tuning in rewind to dynamite is going to be signing off we'll be back on friday with rewind to smackdown 10 15 p.m eastern time live for all members of the post wrestling cafe who can also check out the Capital Carnage review. And next week, get set, it's Rocky on the cafe. Yeah, this, of course, uh, takes the place of our MCU reviews. We're going to be re- reviewing every single Rocky movie, starting with Rocky 1. You want you have to join us for the entire ride, starting with this one. If you like, These are movies that are so incredibly rewatchable, uh, and we encourage you to do the same this weekend. Please leave your feedback and then listen to John and I talk about it next Tuesday. Being a patron of ours at postwrestlingcafe.com gets you access to all of these shows, plus Rewind Away, plus Ask Away, every edition of Rewind to Smackdown, our New Japan review coming up later this month, and really just just a sense of sense of uh, great uh, satisfaction. That's the word. That's Along with our archives, you get every show. That we've ever done. You can listen to it from now until we do that Rocky review. You can just go through 77 episodes of Rewind Away. 70, 77. 
67? 67. Yeah. 67. Well, we'll get to 77 at some point. All right, everybody. That is it for us. Uh, time to say goodbye.